It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Friday morning. It's uh, Corner 3 here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jared Stansberry, Scott Christopherson. Before we get started, I do want to plug something just real quick. Uh, you can go right now to the Cyclone Fanatic store. Uh, you can find the link right. Well, okay, never mind. Not the link right at the top of the uh, uh, of the Cyclone Fanatic homepage. But if you go right now to the Cyclone Fanatic store, uh, I'm going to find the link for you because I even I don't know what it is. CycloneFanaticShop.com. Uh, you can find Isaiah Brockington shirts right there on the uh, on the cyclone fanatic store as well as you know will mcdonald ashley jones caleb grill uh and then i think we're gonna have some jazz coons shirts here coming before too long as well hopefully so uh check those out right now on the cyclone fanatic store cyclonefanaticshop.com scott we uh did a podcast earlier this week talking about texas tech uh we're gonna go through some of the the our impressions from that game obviously it was a, a weird game uh, I think would be a good way to put it. And then we're going to look ahead to tomorrow when Iowa State takes on Oklahoma down in Norman. What's going on, man? How's uh, how's your week going? Life is good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a good week. You know, obviously good good to see the Cyclones get on the, 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 the winning column on Wednesday night. Excited to kind of talk about that game in Oklahoma. But uh, no, everything's good. Twins and wife are healthy and it's college basketball season. So it's a fun time of year. You took some questions uh, from from some fans. Should we dive into those before we get to uh, the nitty gritty of the games, or do you want to go through the games first? Let's uh, let's go to the Texas Tech game because I actually think, if I remember correctly, there's probably a handful of questions that tie into the Texas Tech game. So we can probably analyze the Texas Tech game, mix in a couple of those questions. And if we're there's questions that we don't have time to get to, I can always circle back on Twitter too and just answer them with a quick video chat or, or type them up. So let's let's start with the Texas Tech game and then get into Oklahoma and we'll take what questions we can kind of tie in to start. Sounds good. All right. So Texas Tech, man, uh, football on hardwood, I think would be the best <laughs> way, uh, the best way to describe that game. Uh, obviously, offense was optional uh, in this one, but defense absolutely was not. Um, Iowa State able to do a, a great job on the defensive end, especially in the second half, to be able to to seal the win. But man, there was absolutely nothing pretty about this game. There was nothing really uh, aesthetically pleasing. It, it. I told Chris yesterday on our radio show that it it made me feel like I needed to go take a shower the second that it got over, uh, and just to wash that off of me. I've since watched it twice more, uh, which it has had a pretty similar effect each time. Um, but man, that's just a, a gutty win a, to be able to come out with a win in that game. I feel like speaks volumes about this team because it doesn't matter what they do on the offensive end. They're going to buckle down on the defensive end then uh, and, and be able to get the stops that they need to, to be able to win the game. And, you know, I thought that just said a lot about the heart of this team to, to be able to come out with a W regardless of, the circumstances of Texas tech, having guys out and all that kind of stuff. My initial thought is before we analyze any components of the game, anytime you can not play your best and win ball games in the big 12, that is 
a huge compliment to you as a team that you don't have. I mean, I, I thought the Iowa State offensive performance was probably somewhere in the C C range, if not, maybe even a little bit worse at times. And you, you, you won. So it, it, that, that speaks to where this team is at. I, I think two months ago, if we were talking about how well Iowa State would have to play to contend with Baylor, beat Texas Tech, we're probably thinking, man, they probably got to have an AA minus performance to have a chance. So I, I think that speaks to how far this team has come. And uh, you don't ever apologize for winning ever, particularly in the Big 12. Absolutely not. I mean, I think I think that they might get a, a C minus uh, for their offense, but that's because they played like a B game in the first half and then played an F in the second half. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I probably wouldn't have given them a C, but I was going to try to be kind, you know, keep it, keep it positive. Look, I was going to say, <laughs> look at you being Mr. Optimistic, but uh, <laughs> you're apparently you're much uh, easier, greater than I am. Uh, but I do want to say too, like that, I don't think that them playing poorly, it's not like they just played poorly because they just played poorly. The opposing team can force you to play poorly, you know, and I think you can say the same thing about Texas Tech in their offense. Iowa State forced Texas Tech into not playing very well on the offensive end, you know, and that speaks to the defensive strength of both of these teams, I think. And the reality is, too, that Texas Tech plays a style of defense with the physicality that they do that is hard to simulate. It's hard to be prepared for until you're in a position where you're actually having to go against it. And I thought that you saw, especially in that game, you know, about the midway point of the first half until about the midway point of the second half, where Texas Tech was allowed to really do a lot of things to take Iowa State out of what they wanted to do offensively. And that's not, again, I said this on the show, on the radio show last night, I'm not blaming the officiating, but it is a, a reason that I think that the offense for both teams was in the positions that it was. The defenses were allowed to get away with a lot of things that you probably normally would not on most nights. And uh, I just, I think that it, it says a lot about Iowa State just to be able to battle through those things and to continue to rise to the occasion because we've seen in the past where Iowa State, when a team would play them that way, they would shy away from it. And it would become an issue of the other team being a lot tougher than them. And that was what became the difference in the game. That was not the case this time. You know, I think that Texas Tech physically, like they were probably the stronger team. Those guys all look like they should be playing football for uh, for Texas Tech's new football coach. But yet you're able to battle through it and you're able to get something done and you're able to get to the free throw line a bunch of times late in the game. Uh, and then you hit timely shots. And it comes down to what we talked about with the, the Baylor game. Baylor made shots when they needed to make shots. And it spoke to the experience that that team has and the talent that they have. Iowa State's got some of that. It's just, can you get it to come out when you need it? And that's what happens when Isaiah Brockington hits a, a three-point, a step-back three-pointer with uh, to take the lead back. You know, that's what happens when Jazz is taking charges or drawing fouls to be able to get to the free throw line uh, all the times that he did in the second half. I mean, it's just big-time players stepping up to make big-time plays when the moment is needed. Yeah, and I, I think to start, uh, Texas Tech has a unique scheme and then they have a unique level of physicality which are going to, is going to cause a lot of good offensive teams problems. I think that for me, the, there are things that Iowa state that we've seen from Iowa state in the first two games on the offensive end that are correctable that I think are going to be important for them to identify. I know that the team is wanting to be positive. They won They're a defensive smash mouth, physical loose ball rebounding. That's their identity. There are some things offensively that I think they, they, they need to clean up. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, Isaiah's, Isaiah Brockington step back three. That's a season-altering shot. I know that sounds crazy because they have already won 12 games, but if you drop that game, you drop your first two home games in Big 12 play, now you're staring two road games in the, in the, down the barrel against two road games, excuse me, Oklahoma and Kansas. Things can get out of control for teams very quickly. How you start in league play it probably doesn't get talked enough about. It's very critical. And all of the momentum was on Texas Tech's side at that moment. And for him to pull off that four-point play, I mean, it, I think in a way you kind of come to expect those things from him because he's done it all year for them. But I, I can't understate that that was probably a season-altering shot by him uh, for the Cyclones. Yeah, and he – I mean, I <laughs> – 
I don't know what more like needs to be said about Isaiah. I, it would be hard right now to not have him in in the conversation as at minimum a first team all league player. Uh, at I think he's got to be in the conversation to be the league player of the year right now, though. You know, and obviously there's still a lot of games left to be played. They've got 16 league games and uh, and one more non conference. But it's like every time that I watch, a, I don't know. There's a team more or a guy more important to his team than Isaiah. Uh, you know, maybe Tanner Groves at, at, at Oklahoma. And we're going to talk about him a little bit later on, but uh, just what he's able to do for them as far as rebounding, scoring, you know, even creating for other people. I mean, he is just, he is so important to what they're able to do. And that's what I think, you know, we had a bunch of questions about that. Uh, one thing that I think you can look at from that game, Texas Tech did a really good job of being able to keep him from getting to his left, of being able to cut off some of the the actions that Iowa State was running for him. Uh, what can Iowa State do now to um, be able to counteract that? What are the, what's the next steps for them to be able to get to that next piece of how they run their offense through Isaiah now that teams have scouted them, now that they know what he wants to do and have started to take away some of his strengths? Yeah, I think the two two part answer to start with what Isaiah can do. He needs to recognize that the other team or everybody's game plan is going to be to try to take away his left. And when they give him a step to his left, he's, you know, take it and run with it. He's been dynamite there all year. But when you're starting to come off, I think it's like their wheel action, they call it. And he's going to come off that dribble handoff and they start to jump that. You need to be for that play ever happens in your mind, recognize, all right, I'm getting jumped on this. What am I going to do to counteract that? And I think that's something that he can improve upon. I think that's something the entire team can improve upon. One of the things that I think is correctable for this team, when they run the play and the defense guards it the way that they think they're going to guard it, the play looks really good. They get the shot they want. When the other team scouts them and takes away the initial action that they would like, they're a second slow to recognize it and immediately jump into what I would call like a basketball. All of a sudden your basketball instincts just take over and you're like, all right, here we're going right into this. All five guys recognize it. All five guys are on the same page. He can lead the way by making those by making that recognition because they're guarding him harder than they are everybody else. But I think that's something that is correctable for the entire team. When the initial action breaks down, what I see a guy will take two dribbles out to the top of the key. And then they, then they start to kind of go into like, a, you know, try to break a guy down off the dribble rather than take those two dribbles back, recognize what they take away and get right into it so that you don't waste six or seven seconds resetting your offense. The second piece of that is I think they're going to have to do a better job of getting him the ball in different spots now. So like, for instance, the other night I would have posted him some, they were inviting Iowa State to throw the ball in the post. I watched them guard against the post. I think that they're better guarding off the dribble than they are guarding in the post. I would have looked to post him in the low block and let him facilitate offense from there, whether that's as a passer or attacking the rim. Maybe you start, instead of throwing it to George at the high post, start putting him there. Put George down in the alley or down underneath the basket as kind of the, 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 the dump down guy. And now you can start running an Aruna off of a dribble handoff with him or your guards and see how other teams guard that. I think they're going to have to move him around more and, and get, and get him the ball in different spots on the court. And I think the good thing is that Isaiah has the type of game where I think he can play from the low block. I can think he can play from the high block. We obviously know what he can do from the perimeter. So that's kind of my long winded answer of what I would do to help him free up more looks for himself and then help him get involved in more attacking spots. Uh, in the half court with your first piece about teams being able to scout them and things like that how much and being able to recognize you know what you need to do after a team is able to blow up your action how much of that is having secondary actions that come out of the play where like designed secondary actions I'm trying I'm thinking of if you're going to set you know, you're running your horns player, you're running your wheel, having a guy who's able to slip off of a screen or someone who is back cutting out of that. That's a designed action to where then you're not, you're not thinking, Oh, this is what's happening. Now I need to do this. And you don't have to think about it. It's like, okay, this is what the play is. We're going to run this action. And instead of saying, we're going to do it exactly how you think we're going to, we're going to have this new wrinkle of how we're going to throw that at you and throw just another kind of, an, it's like your change up that you have instead of throwing your slider. 
Yeah. And I think that every coach you ideally want to, like, if I'm coaching a team, I'm trying to steal 10 points a game. So coming out of timeouts under, out of, underneath, under, underneath, out of bounds, et cetera. I've got a couple of unscouted looks that I haven't revealed yet that I've always have in my pocket so that in a time, like when Isaiah hit that step back three, maybe I call a timeout. And so we're going to get into something and we feel like, all right, I've seen them guard us five times on this wheel action. I'm throwing the counter in as a set play. That's a part of it. I think the great teams though, the players just make those adjustments on the fly themselves. I don't think as a coach, you can just sit there and, and, and call a different counter throughout the entire game to get you mm-hmm. through the game. You can do that from time to time to steal a bucket, but I think that it's got to probably come more from the players. And this is where in practice I've played, you know, for Fred and then Tom Crane, we played a lot of three on three, a lot of four on four, where we would run our, we would practice the actions we wanted to run in the game, but you're, you're forcing guys to just play. Like there's not a set play you're supposed to run. It's all right. We're going to run our wheel and we're just playing out of it. And I think that they need to do, I don't know what they practice. I'm not saying they do or don't practice that, but if I were them, I would spend more time focusing on how do we got to develop our basketball instincts offensively so that when teams start to take away our scouted looks, I don't have to call a new set play to get us into something they just get right into it because all five guys read it and see it. That's what really good offensive teams do. I was going to say, so that, so then it comes down to just guys being able to make reads off of the keys that you're seeing from the defense, you know, whether it's a particular look, it's like, uh, you know, I remember in the high school offense that I ran, it was, if your guy came out all the way to the three point line, that's when you back cut, you know, yeah. or something like that. And like, it's being able to recognize those things quickly and not just like standing you know, and I think that that was an issue at times for them against Texas Tech is when they would blow up the action, then all of a sudden everybody is just standing there like, oh gosh, now what do we do? And, Ty- and, and, and Tyrese and Gabe, a lot of times they would get the ball, they would take two dribbles back and they would call out, you know, all right, now let's get into this. And I would say, instead of having to do that, we should already be right in like, okay, they took away Isaiah's left hand, bam, I'm hitting George in the high post, I'm cutting off him. And, and now it's just a little bit more of a, emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think you have concepts you want to keep out of your motion. Maybe it's all right. We want to have one guy in four guys out. Maybe it's, we want one guy in the po- high post four guys out. And you know, that's where the drilling it in the three on three and the four on four, it, it takes time to develop that. And there's no, like, you could literally break down every play and be like, well, this play, you could have done this. And this play, you could have done that. You can always question it. I think it's just more getting those guys on the floor being guarded that way and getting into some sort of continuity. It's more important that those five guys know how to play with one another than it is that the coach is able to sit there on the sideline and try to control it. I don't think you really can play that way. Let me ask you this, how, and it's kind of weird because I think this is actually opposite of what, how it normally is for most teams, the focus they've put on the defense and the amount of time you can tell that they've spent on practicing their defense. Do you think that there's an element of that could have, slowed some of that development on the offensive end of being able to pick those things up because it's like, we're so focused on this end and getting and getting really good on this end. And they've done that, that then now you can see where there are not necessarily deficiencies, but it's like, you can see where there's, they're almost a, a tick slower on the other end of being able to pick up some of those things and read some of those things and knowing when to, how to act in some of those scenarios. Maybe I, I think TJ came in, I'm not saying I, I want to say I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm asking you as an analyst. If no, you, it's it's a it's a great point. And and like with many things, it's a balance, right? So I think that coming in, TJ, you know, it, it was ball pressure, rebounding, and we're not going to turn it over. And he wanted to establish the identity. I think TJ really grasped how important it is in your first year to establish the identity of your program. I wrote a piece about that a week or two ago. I think he's done an A-plus job there. I would never question him on that, and the results speak for themselves. They're 13-1. and I don't think you have to choose necessarily. I think what I would do, I would have – so you get three assistant coaches. I would have one, two guys. If we want it to be defense and rebounding, I got two guys that are constantly coaching up defense and rebounding, and then I'm picking a third assistant that everything we do, every defensive drill we do – we're coaching them on offense because you do have to develop basketball instincts as a team. And it takes time. I mean, my senior year, the first half of the season, 
that was very evident that we did not have continuity as a team. We got beat by Drake, blown out by Michigan, beat by you and I. About halfway through the year, we started to get that, and then it became very difficult to guard because Royce was such a mismatch for teams, and then we had a lot of shooting around him. So, again, it's something that takes time. I don't know how TJ divvies that up, and every coach, I'm sure, looks at that a little bit different. But for them, for them to have a realistic chance to win double-digit games in Big 12 play, their progression on the offensive end, particularly with their instincts off of set plays or sets that they want to get to, is going to have to improve. Did you like the way that they were able to create more looks for Jazz and and Caleb than it seems like they had? I mean, especially early in the game. I mean, Caleb got some really good looks early on in the game. Uh, I mean, nobody got very good looks uh, later in the game, but um, it, it felt like they were more deliberate in getting looks for both of those guys, not only from three, but just for opportunities for them to have the ball in their hands and make something happen. Yes, Jazz and Caleb are very important for this team offensively. Caleb is their guy that I think can get four or five threes in a game for them. Uh, I talked, I've talked about this before. He needs to hunt his shot. He's done a better job of that. And the guys need to look to set him up. But, you know, like if I'm Tyrese Hunter, I always know where he's at. That doesn't mean I'm going out of my way to make sure he shoots. But anytime I'm attacking the paint, anytime I'm attracting in transition, I'm doing it with the idea of, right, where's Jazz and where's Caleb? Because if I can get their guy to suck off them a little bit, we've got two 40-plus point, three-point percentage shooters that we need to set up. I think Jazz, it was great to see him get going a little bit. I think he brings shooting. I think he brings a lot of intangible things on offense. You can run some stuff through him out of the high post. He's a good passer. I think Jazz needs to be a little bit more aggressive. I think he needs to be looking for opportunities to step in on that trail three, step out to the corner in their offense and and, and step in and knock down those shots because they probably need six or seven threes from those two, uh, Trey Jackson and Gabe Kalshur in a game to get them enough to get to, you know, 65, 70 points and open the floor up for their, their playmakers to attack. Do you have any concern though, that with a guy like jazz specifically, if he starts to hunt his shot a little bit more, it takes away some of the intangible things that he does, because I feel like the fact that he doesn't hunt his shot is part of what makes him Mm -hmm. so good. It's because he's, he picks his spots really well. Well, I don't think jazz is a guy that's going to shoot like six or seven threes a game, mm-hmm. but he, I don't want him going two games without getting a clean look from the three point right. line. So again, it's, it, it's, it's a small incremental adjustment on his end of trying to find a way. Cause really what you're, what you're trying to get at with a guy like him is we want the other team thinking about, we've got to get to the three point line on him. We've got to, we've got to close out that when that happens, everything that you want to accomplish has been accomplished because now the floor is more open for your drivers. But if he's not getting the enough looks from there to make other teams fear his three point shooting. Now as guys sags off him and Isaiah or Tyrese try to drive in the helps there, they kick it out to him. And if he's not ready to shoot, it hurts the entire offense. So to your point, I'm not saying he becomes a volume three-point shooter, but they need as many guys to be feared by the posing defenses as possible from the three-point line to open up the lane for what they want to do offensively. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so one question I think uh, kind of fits into this conversation. Um, Alex Gukin sent you this on Twitter. Uh, Tristan Anaruna has been a great spark early in games, but seems to disappear in the second half. Does the game plan just change or is there something of concern there? And we have kind of talked about this and then he added a, he added back with a, a kind of a caveat, but he said, I guess the numbers aren't as lopsided as I thought they'd be 53 points in the first half, 47 in the second, but he scored the first points of the game for Iowa state in five games, which leads the team. Uh, it seems like he's been a focus of the game plan early on and then fades. I do think that you could look at the, this past game, uh, you know, he played 19 minutes. Most of those came in the first half from you. What is your read on that of, of why that is that he has been so involved early in games and then maybe isn't quite as involved involved as the game progresses. Well, I think that TJ and the entire staff recognizes how talented he is. And I, I think I said this on our last podcast to me, the next step for Tristan is playing through things, not going your way. 
And he's struggled to do that. That's why one game he'll look like a double-double machine, and then the next game he's you know quiet after the first four minutes. I don't think that that's anything that is on TJ or the staff. I, I put that a little bit more on Tristan. What makes Tristan special, in my opinion, he doesn't. He shouldn't need to have a bunch of plays called to get him involved early. I think Iowa State recognizes that when he gets involved early and gets in a flow, it changes how he plays the rest of the game. But the, you don't need a play call to go get an offensive rebound. You don't need a play call to get out on the fast break and, and run down the alley and either draw a guy to you to open up a pass for a shot to another guy or catch a look in transition and, and make a play to the rim. And I think that that's probably the frustration that it, the fans have and that maybe even the coaches share with with him is there's this guy that looks like at times an all-conference caliber player. I see it. I mean, his his fluidity, his skill level is there. He needs to, when things don't go his way early, collect himself and just keep playing. Like Melvin Ejim, he should go watch Melvin Ejim film for a day. And just look at when Melvin, Melvin didn't need a bunch of plays called for him to get you 15 and 10. He just did it with his energy, with his effort, and with his aggressiveness. I think with Tristan, it's just when he gets out of the flow of the game, his aggressiveness really tapers back. I think that's what's holding him back from being a legitimate 14 point a game, seven rebound a game guy. That's kind of this team's second best most productive player. I think it's there in him. I don't know him well enough personally, and I'm not there, you know, in a day-to-day with him in practice to know what's kind of holding him back, but just watching him, it just seems like he loses his confidence if things don't go his way early. Okay. A lot of these questions really do go back to the same stuff that we talked about before about, uh, at least the ones that pertain to, um, to Texas tech. Uh, here's one from Adrian, uh, Adrian Huth. He says, what's going on with Caleb grill and refusing to dribble. Is it confidence or a lack of ball handling? Seems like teams are throwing more aggressive pressure and double teams of him every game because they know he won't dribble out of it. Uh, well, their teams are going to scout to run him off the three point line. Um, and, I'm not sure where Caleb's at in his progression, you know, putting the ball on the floor for a dribble or two. I know in being around him and TJ, I think that they've really coached Caleb to try to keep it simple offensively. I think early on in the the preseason before they were playing games, he was getting himself into a little bit of trouble trying to do too much at times. I think they've really tried to simplify it. They're going to try to run him off the three point line. And if he can put the ball on the ball on, on the floor for a dribble or two to create a look for a teammate or maybe get to a little bit of a pull-up, that would certainly help him out. I would definitely, if I were him, be thinking about adding that to my game. But if you're not ready for that, and that's not part of your game yet, trying that out in Big 12 play against Texas Tech is not really the the type of game you want to go out and try to experiment with something on. So uh, I've actually been really happy with how Caleb has played. I know the shots haven't fallen in bunches like we want, but he's hunting a shot. He's shooting it confidently. I I think he just needs to continue to shoot through this. It's an adjustment period. I don't care what anybody says. Playing non-conference games against playing conference games is an adjustment period. It's an adjustment period for bigs, shooters, for everybody. He has less time and less room to get his shots off. He's getting them off, but now it's taking that next step to being able to keep your focus and concentration where it needs to be in order to shoot that 40% clip that he did in the non-conference season I think after the first couple of games of conference play, he's going to make that adjustment. And I think as long as he continues to get the kind of looks he's look he he's getting, I think you're going to see his shooting percentage start to come back up because his his body is going to and his mind is going to adjust to the speed of play. All right, ISU Twirly Bird asks: Every defense has some kind of weakness, and it seems like ISU gave up quite a few back cuts to the basket against Tech. Is that a disadvantage of the defense ISU plays, or Tech, or did Tech just make some good plays? I think that Tech made some good plays. I think it's something Iowa State needs to not. Uh, they need to make the, a, a small tweak and adjustment to that, especially against Oklahoma, because they've got you know the big that steps out away from the basket, and that you know back cuts are a part of their offense. I mean, they're really good at getting out on people, putting ball pressure, denying passing lanes. It's just natural that teams are going to try to make the adjustment of uh, back cutting them. I don't want them to stop pressuring the ball. I don't want them to start denying lanes. But as a player, in the back of your mind, it's it's the it's the difference between all right. I need to make the adjustment 
deny my guy the ball, but I need to be aware of what their counter is going to be. So in the back of my mind, I'm already starting to try to take that away. It's, I didn't think it's anything that's, it's not anything that I would be overly concerned about, but it would be a point of emphasis as a coach to say, Hey, you know, we need to recognize teams are countering us by back cutting and just be a little bit more cognizant of when I deny my guy that that's what he's going to do and just be there a half step quicker, small adjustment. But I, I think it's something they can make on the fly. Really at the end of the day too, that's this exact same conversation we had about the offense just flipped, you know, yes. because that's, that's Texas tech doing exactly what we just said about being able to make reads and making plays when something is being taken away from you, you have to be able to make that read defensively to know that's what they're going to do as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, you have mentioned in the past about dribble penetration. Oh, this is from Jack Murphy. Uh, what do you think about them trying on ball screens, especially for a guy like Brockington? Seemed like pick and roll would have been better than what we were trying the other night. Yes. I mean, the other night was unique. I, I, I'm a huge fan of ball screens. I, I love ball screen action. I, especially with Tyrese Hunter, I would like to see them do a little bit more of it early in the shot clock in order to get into a flow a little bit faster. I think it would give him some opportunities to attack some of the bigs getting downhill on them with a little bit more space. Um, you know, Isaiah, I haven't seen enough of him coming off of ball screens to know how well he reads those type of situations. But yeah, I mean, if he's a guy in practice, you've seen use ball screens and knows how to make those reads and, and play out of it. I mean, I, any opportunity I get to get Isaiah Brockington and some attacking action. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing that as a coach every time. So to answer his question, yes, I think they could use ball screens a little bit more. Um, I would tend to do it more in a natural flow early in the shot clock so that teams, teams scout that stuff less and less. If you have like a set play that you run with the ball screen action, the, the tendency is that teams are going to recognize that and they'll come into the game with a way to try to take that away. The more natural ones you can set in the flow of your offense that are unscripted, the better. And I, I, I saw some encouraging drives from Tyrese the other night. You and I were texting about that a little bit in the game. Now he didn't finish as well as we would like, but you started seeing him get to the floater. I started seeing him get his shoulder into the big and, and starting to be a little bit more physical, continue to look for those looks, continue to work on that in practice. And he's the type of guy that'll figure out how to make those shots in the game. I think that's a good transition point for us uh, to look ahead to Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma does not possess the same level of rim protection as a team uh, that Texas Tech or Baylor did, uh, honestly. I mean, you know, you've got Tanner Groves, who is six foot ten, but Tanner Groves is not the kind of athletic freak that they've seen from some of these other teams either. Um, I think that this is the kind of game where you could see Tyrese have a little bit more success in being able to get down to downhill uh, and then get to the rim. Um, but let's take a quick break and then we can talk about that here in just a second. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back here to Corner 3 on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. All right, we started talking about Tyrese. I teased it there before uh, before the break. Uh, like I said, I, I think that this game against Oklahoma is one that might present some more opportunities at the rim uh, than you know a team like than playing against Baylor or playing against Oklahoma has just because they don't have that same level of rim protection. When you've watched the Sooners, is that kind of what you see as well? Yeah, I think that this is a game where – you know, we could see the Iowa State back in the points in the paint in the 30s or 40s like we saw against Baylor. You know, Texas Tech did a good job at, again, at taking that away. And, you know, I thought Isaiah and Tyrese got some looks in that game. They just didn't convert. But to me, that's something that's so critical for this team. Free throw attempts and points in the paint. I think Isaiah and Tyrese can have a really big day putting a lot of pressure on them. 
what that's going to do, obviously, you know, you get the points in the paint, you get the free throw attempts, maybe get them in some foul trouble, but that's where you're going to start to see those inside out, you know, in rhythm threes come for guys like jazz and Gabe and, um, uh, and Caleb. So I, I just, to me, this is a game where those two have got to live in the paint. If I'm TJ, I'm challenging them, you know, 20, 30 paint touches between the two of them, something like that. I was very encouraged by what I saw by Tyrese the other night. I know that was a tough night, two for nine, not a great shooting percentage, but I started to see him make drives that I hadn't seen him try a couple of weeks ago. And look, he's a freshman, but he's not a freshman anymore. This is a guy that's going to play 35 minutes a game. He's going to learn on the fly. And there's going to be some nights where you get in there and it just, it doesn't go your way but he is too valuable and I have too high hopes for him as a player for him to just disappear into game flow. They need him to continue to look to put pressure on opposing defenses in transition in early ball screens. And I hope he comes out and makes the same sorts of drives that he did the other night. I just hope he finds a way to connect on two or three more of them because that will take him from, and you've, you've made this point before an all freshman guard to second or third team, all league potential player even this year if he starts consistently making those plays I think one thing too that we haven't talked about as much that can help him that we've seen you know Baylor had a ton of success with this against Oklahoma uh their guards ability to take two dribbles and pull up and shoot a jump shot we have not seen that much from really anybody uh, for our except for Isaiah he's pretty good at that at shooting in that mid-range area and I know that you know, there's a lot of people who don't like the mid-range shot and all that kind of stuff anymore. But I think it's still an important shot for your guards when you get chased off the three-point line. This is something that even with Caleb, I'd like to be able to see him add when teams start to chase him off the three-point line. It's you take two dribbles and you can pull up and you can shoot. You don't have to go all the way every time, you know. Mm-hmm. And if if you can add that, that's another piece that can take some pressure off and can pull defensive defenders away from the basket. And then in turn, can open things up for Isaiah. It can open up dump down opportunities to Tristan and to uh, George or Robert, whoever it may be, uh, because now you're starting to see where those big men will just sit at the rim and they're not going to leave. You know, they're going to be there all the time. And then there's no opportunities to be able to finish there because you're going to have a huge guy that's protecting the rim all of the time. Yeah. And that, that was what really impressed me about Akinjo against Baylor. Mm -hmm. There's a guy that can shoot from 25 feet. He can get all the way to the rim, but the work he does coming off of ball screens or head fakes and getting into the mid range. And then he's great at, you know, getting his shoulder on a guy, half of a bump, rise up and fire and shoots at a high percentage. I mean, that's, you start doing that and now you're probably an all American candidate. I mean, that's like high, high level basketball. Um, I think that with how Caleb's being guarded, absolutely. Like one or two dribbles into a little 15 foot pull up. Yes. I think for Tyrese with where he's currently at, I think, that's like, that's, that's far down the line in the development, but that I'm just throwing that out there. It's like, I, I, I well, no. And, and if he, I mean, if Tyrese gets where he has that mid range game, like a Kinjo has Tyrese is going to be a, a lottery pick someday because right. his athletic skills and his movement skills and a defense are just un, unreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the more that he can get where he doesn't have to get all the way to the rim to finish, whether it's a floater, a two footed jump stop or a little 15 foot leaner, that's what's going to unleash his game to the next level. And I, I would bet that him and J.R. Blunt are working on this stuff daily. And as he continues, the, the biggest piece of it is this. He doesn't have a Monte Morris in front of him. He doesn't yeah. like when you're in his spot, it's a little bit different because you just have to get out there and get your hands dirty and learn on the fly. This isn't, he's got uh, DeAndre Kane to, to, to kind of lean on. No, Tyrese is the guy being leaned on. So it takes a little bit of courage, in my opinion, because there are, you know, two for nine, that doesn't feel good as a player. He just has to keep playing through it, keep playing through it, keep playing through it. And there's going to come a game where all of a sudden the light comes on and those floaters start falling and it makes, looks a little bit more smooth and natural for him. And I, at that point in time, this team is going to, the, the complexion of this team is going to change. If they can get Tyrese doing that and Tristan and Aruna more consistently attacking the offensive glass and being more consistent throughout the duration of the game. Now you're looking at a legitimate sweet, sweet 16 team, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up Monte because he, I mean, when you talk about that mid range, 
that was something that Monte was so good at, you know, and was being able to get to the spots that he really wanted to. But if you didn't let him get there, he was still able to then create for other people. And that's, I mean, that's why he's arguably the greatest point guard to ever play at Iowa State. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, he, and it took him time, you know, it took time to be able to get into that position. Monte obviously played for Iowa State for four years. And so it's like, it's part of a, of a development. And, you know, it's why I added the caveat. I'm not saying I need Tyrese to be able to shoot that mid-range tomorrow. Uh, that's not realistic to say, but it's just, as you talk about what the, a guy like that can continue to add to his game and how he can continue to be, get better and how you can maximize the potential you have, that's what it's like. That's what it takes. That's how you get there. I, I think Tyrese would benefit a lot from get the cutups every game of your attacking position of your attacking possessions, excuse me, and go and watch them and then come up with the highlight reel of James Akinjo in the mid range attacking the basket and Monte Morris attacking the basket and watch yourself and then watch them after every game. And all of a sudden, I mean, he's a talented guy. I've talked a lot about his ability to learn on the fly has really impressed me. The Memphis game comes to mind. There was a couple of others. If you just show him what he looks like doing it, and then you show him two guys that became elite at it, he will go out and put the work in at practice. Jared Blunt was a very good college guard. I was super impressed with him out in New York, his ability to coach. I think he's going to be a head coach someday. Those two guys could really help or him and Tyrese together. That could be a really dangerous combination for this team as far as his development, his progression, and what that can do for this team. That's that's what I would do if I was coaching him. Is I would every game, here's your cutups, here's what I want it to look like two years from now. How quickly can we get you there? Now let's go put in 30 minutes before or after practice on some of those little situations and how you want to handle it, drill it. And I think you'll see his game take off. And I think that this all, it comes back to the same conversation we've had about teams scouting you. Once you're being scouted, you have to have more than one way to be able to get what you want. You know, like it can't be, I'm going to go to the rim full bore every time and I'm going to do it. I'm just going to finish, you know, teams are going to be prepared for that and they're going to know exactly how they want to, to be able to stop that. You've got to have that counter inside your own mind and get it to where it's not just, I have to think about this. No, it's second nature. Okay. The guy's going to sit way back. Okay. I'm going to pull up and I'm going to shoot that floater right over the top of him. I'm going to pull up at the free throw line and I'm going to knock down a jumper right there. As soon as I get a step on my man. And uh, I think that you can, there's several of these guys that I think can gain from some of that stuff. I think even Gabe could gave, gain from some of those things because I think we've seen with Gabe, he's a more confident shooter and he made a shot like this the other night when he pulled up in transition and shot a three. He is a more confident shooter when he just is making his move and then shoots. You're not catching the ball and thinking about it. You know, I think it's just, those are the things that as these guys continue to improve individually as offensive players, like we're going to start to see more and more of those types of things. And I think that's a, a great piece of advice I would have for players. And this can be hard because, you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit. I think as a player, you always probably have a little bit of an inflated opinion of yourself mm-hmm. or, you, you know, every player thinks they're going to the NBA, whatever, but find a guy, whether it's in the league or a guy that played at Iowa state, or just a guy that you grew up watching to emulate your game after that has a similar skill set. So for Gabe, whomever that is, I think what that helps people do is it helps them identify like, all right, what's my role? How can I be? What does my end product look like? Now, all of a sudden you're coming into the game with clarity. Like the reason I said the other day about Gabe, that was concerning for me. And I saw him correct that the other night was just the lack of confidence. He looked in the Baylor game. He looked like he forgot who he was. Now he looked like he regained that a little bit the other night. And let's hope he takes another step forward on Saturday with that. But I think it's so important as a player to find somebody, you know, for Tristan and Aruna, maybe that's Melvin Egypt, you know, even I'm not saying he's going to be Melvin, but he could model parts of his game after Melvin. And again, watch your cutups of you attacking or you making plays, watch what it looks like at a high, high level. That way, mentally, you know, going into each game, like, all right, I know where I need to improve. I know I didn't bring it last game like I did, or I didn't get to enough mid-range jumpers. I think from a player development standpoint, that is a very important piece of it. I think, uh, actually, I know exactly who Tristan and Aruna should be watching cut-ups of, and I I don't say this because Tristan looks like he could be his little brother, but it's Abdul Nader and what he was able to do at Iowa State. I mean, that... For one, they look like, if, I think if you put them right next to each other, it'd be like the Spider-Man meme, 
because they look like they could be twins. But uh, at the same time, like their games, I think, could be very similar. And it, you know, it took Abdul some time even. You know, he played his junior year and was pretty solid. He was a lot like what Tristan is now. But then when he came back as a senior, he had more of that ability to play you know, on his own and to create for himself, then he needed to have somebody create for him. And it's just like, those are the things like it just, like I said, it takes time and it takes development, but if you can unlock those things, that's what takes you from where they're at now, especially offensively to that next level. You know, how do you unlock that next level and how do you get there? It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time, but if you can put that time in, that's how you help your team continue to improve. Yes. 100%. And the great part about it is you're also getting a chance to improve as an individual, right? So the team's improving, you're improving, everybody wins. All right. What else do you see from, uh, from Oklahoma when you've watched them? They, I mean, they're not the defensive team that Baylor and Texas tech are. And you pointed this out before we jumped on, I anticipate and hope that we see a cleaner offensive game from Iowa state. The thing that I am the most frustrated with or concerned about through two games is what I think they're averaging 18 and a half turnovers per game. And that's a point of emphasis that TJ has said from day one, right? Ball pressure, rebounding, turning it over. They're turning it over, making, you know, throwing it in the guy is standing out of bounds when he catches it. That happened a couple of times last games. I know Texas Tech's defense is good, but when you make those sorts of mistakes, that's not a Texas Tech thing. That's a you thing. Driving the dribbling the ball out of bounds. Just you're not attacking, you're not playing downhill, and we're turning it over too much. So if we can get that number down to like 12 to 14 on Saturday, that's going to be critical. I think they're going to have a much better game offensively on Saturday. I'll say that right now. And then offensively, I think this team is unique in that they have a big that can step away. They're going to back cut them. They're going to run dribble handoffs. I'm curious to see how Iowa State handles that. Uh, Iowa State's defense has been good. Are there opportunities for them to improve some of their rotation, some of their communication? Yes. Is that going to be magnified on Saturday with the way Oklahoma plays if they don't improve that? Yeah, I think so. So I think this is a very winnable game for Iowa State. I think that they can take a step forward both on offense and defense. A couple of simple corrections, not turning it over and just cleaning up some of the miscommunications they've had defensively. I think if they do that, I think they're going to give themselves a very good chance to beat this team on Saturday. This is a really interesting matchup because it's the first time Iowa State's played a team that has a really solid, true back-to-the-basket big man. You know, like, and and – Groves can step out and shoot the three He's shooting 40% from three this year. So like, don't get me wrong. He can step out and play on the perimeter too, but they look to get him the ball on the block and then he can make plays from the block. I'm in, I'm intrigued to see how Iowa state, you know, does that just as far as their matchups, do they play jazz to try and match him on the perimeter or do you play George to try and match him down low? And then you, you know, you send your doubles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Baylor had some success with against him with being able to send the doubles at him. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm intrigued to see the way that they do that because we haven't seen them play a team that has a good back to the basket, big man like this, that can, that has multiple moves that he can make that can give some people some trouble. Well, I think you're going to see both. I think you're going to see a lot of people get a crack at guarding him. Uh, I think Iowa state's done a really good job of trapping the post this year, whenever they've had somebody, but I think he'll, I mean, this is a guy that I don't know that they're going to overwhelm him quite like they have other post players. Mm -hmm. And I think the next step for Iowa state defensively in big 12 play, when they run their stuff and they trap or they get, they get guys in the spots that they want them and they can turn them over. It looks really good. But when they're not turning them over, they're giving up a few more open threes than what they had early in the year. And that's not because they're doing a worse job of defending. They're playing against better players that they can't just completely overwhelm. Right. And that's where I talk about the, the, the rotations and the communication. There's a half dozen, let's say plays in Baylor and Texas tech where they weren't able to overwhelm them into a turnover. Then they make the cross court pass And Iowa State wasn't quite as crisp rotating to those as they had been earlier this year. I think that's an area that's very correctable for them. And when you're going on the road and trying to steal a a win on the road, you know, closing out better on six possessions can be the difference between winning and losing. So 
that to me is something that will be an intriguing matchup in this game. And I think how they guard that big and how they rotate out of guarding him will be a big factor in how well they defend. All right. I'm trying to see if there were any other questions uh, that we can do to close things out. Um, nothing, nothing really jumping. I think somebody asked my favorite road venue to play. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your favorite and least favorite road venues to play in. Uh, Didn't you say Oklahoma state was your least favorite? Didn't we talk about that? It is. I I hated playing at Oklahoma state, that cowboy. um, That always got off at the beginning and end of the game I thought was obnoxious. And uh, the fact that I didn't ever play that well at Oklahoma state, probably, you know, you played in the stretch when they didn't win there for like 20 years, didn't you? Yeah, you never. Yeah, I, I was probably part of that. We never played well there. They yeah. always got us. It was just, uh, I don't know. You walked in kind of just being annoyed by that guy, and 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 then you didn't play well. And you left with the bad taste in your mouth. But it's okay. I, I think played, Pistol Pete's just terrifying more than he's annoying. I, he's a. I played a really guy. well at the Octagon a couple okay. of games. Okay. And actually, my one of my favorite, probably my most gratifying win of my college career was my senior year. We beat K State at K State. I think it was probably the game that locked us into being an NCAA tournament win. So that place was always really fun to play at, but as far as just an atmosphere and a, you know, if you're a college basketball historian um, playing at Kansas is obviously a pretty cool place to go and and play a college basketball game at never had any luck winning there, but I, I would say those two places probably come to mind as my favorite places to go play. So I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about arenas that are too big, uh, you know, like college basketball arenas that are too big. The one that he was that prompted this, he was watching South Carolina play and their arena sits 18,000 people. I think Gallagher, uh, Gallagher, Iba in Stillwater and the Octagon probably both fit into that category. Are there any <laughs> arenas that you ever played in that were you were like, man, if this arena was like 5,000 people smaller, it would be way harder to play in. I would say Texas in the sense of 5,000 people small, smaller and 5,000 more people there. I thought I saw Bob Huggins kind of commented on that the other day. Yeah. It, it's a shame that they don't have a better environment. I mean, that's They're a, building a brand new arena. So I think they'll have one here before, before long, it's going to be a lot smaller. So yeah, hopefully it's smaller and hopefully they get a little bit more fan support yeah. and they can get someone in there that can get them winning because that, that should be a really you know, I know they're not necessarily a blue blood per se of college basketball, but that should be a great environment to go play a basketball game in. And honestly, it's always, I agree with Bob Huggins. That place is weak. Their fan base, they do not do their fan base does their basketball program a disservice. I love that Bob Huggins was putting Texas basketball fans on blast. I did not see that. I'm going to have to go and find that clip because Bob Huggins is electric. I would love to sit down and have a beer or maybe like three with Bob Huggins. That would be a fun guy to sit down and listen to tell stories and have beers with. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a great time. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week after, uh, some more games and, uh, we'll have to preview Kansas on Monday before, uh, before we get to that one. Sound good. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys, uh, uh, on Monday. Have a great weekend. Peace.